on today's Say It Ain't So Sports, DeAndre Baker. Uh, DeAndre Baker. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to go over part one of our NFL over-under. You know, Vegas, they set the lines for how many wins each team is going to get. We're going to tell you how many they're going to get. Um, we'll do part one today. We'll do four parts. We'll break it up in eight at a time. And then we're going to go over, you know, the Knicks. They're the most expensive franchise in basketball, but they've been terrible for a long time. We're going to go over why. We're going to go over some of the moves that have set them back. It's a big podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Before we get into the NFL over-unders, you know, we have to touch on DeAndre Baker. Um, if we were doing Clown of the Week, I'm sure he would be the pick. So, um, yeah, he committed robbery. You know, he's got money in the bank, millions of dollars. He's guaranteed to make millions throughout the next few years. But he said, fuck it, I'm going to rob a bank. Yeah, but, but does, he, does he have that money? Like, that's the question. There's got to be a reason why he would, why he would actually go, go forward with this, Sorry. right? He's probably he's probably like spent it all on like stupid shit. Let's be real. So yeah, he was the only corner picked two drafts ago, and like you could actually make the round. case. Yeah, you can make the case. This is a good move. This is good for the Giants that he did this because he was one of the worst corners last year in coverage. I mean, what what could he do right yeah. on defense last year? I yeah, mean, you gotta look I at mean, this. If, I mean, if you're gonna look at this with a glass half full perspective, like the Giants, yes, the, one of their like players was a. Uh, committed for a felony but you know now it opens the room for bringing a good corner that could actually cover like even someone who's like severely physically disabled like maybe maybe like it doesn't even matter whether or not they could cover it would honestly be better if they actually like took the time to learn the playbook because we we have to remember deandre baker didn't know the plate the defensive playbook like for the majority of the season, they said like by like by week eleven, he still didn't know any of yeah. the like the I mean, schemes that they were running. He probably didn't so, know the difference between like cover three sky and like a cover one robber. You know what I mean? The guy, yeah. the guy just had no idea what was going on in the field. So, and honestly, you know, I'm Giants faithful. You guys know me, Giants Nation. Like, I'm excited. I'm excited for the future here. Notable the Giants, Giants recorders. Notable Giants super fan right here. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited I, for the future of the Giants yeah. secondary. I think this really comes down to, like, uh, the NFC East drafted two receivers in the division, a CUM, Jalen Rager, and plus uh, Amari Cooper. I, I just don't think he wanted another year of that. And uh, he's like, fuck it, let me just get some money. And that was it. And yeah. now his career's over. And just it's, another I'm, imperfection on uh, Gettleman right there. And it yeah. should be noted that Quinn and Dunbar in the original report was saying that he was, he was part of this with DeAndre Baker. And now, like, just before recording, we're getting reports that he wasn't in it. People were sending letters, witnesses that he wasn't involved, and like it just, it just, it makes really no sense why DeAndre Baker would feel the need to have to rob a bank. Yeah, and um, let's also bring it back to the the, the big thing here. Uh, Gettleman, one of the big things when he was hired, said he really like cared about like bringing in like culture guys, right? So trading a guy like Odell Beckham Jr., who didn't have really any off-the-field actual issues, except he was, like, overanalyzed off-the-field, I would say. Um, 
So he trades him, and then a month later, he drafts this guy who then almost, like, a little more than a year after being drafted, goes out and commits a felony, right? So the Giants are really moving a lot forward in terms of, like, building this culture that they want to that they want to bring, and I'm like, and I have to say, like, I have to give props to Gettleman here for for bringing in this culture that he really, really wants to establish. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you get rid of Odell, you know, you gotta set the right culture. DeAndre Baker is that guy. He'll set set the tone on defense, set the tone at the bank, and you know, he's got some legendary yeah. old tweets. Find me where the like money bag emoji at. Um, and he's honestly lucky because it's reported that he told somebody to shoot one of the people leaving. And if that act was carried through and that guy was killed, like he could be facing life in prison or even the death penalty because of Florida's like strict laws. Like he, yeah, but, he's close yeah, to be facing the death penalty. Yeah, but even then, I think that some way they could have twisted it to say that if that guy was killed, like that they would have maybe said, oh, well, he died of coronavirus. So he would have got, and so he wouldn't have gotten any. Anyways, right? So, <laughs> like that as well. Jeez. Maybe, maybe you should be on DeAndre Baker's defense. Say, like, this wasn't an argument between friends that led to a robbery. Say this was, you know, coronavirus-related. DeAndre Baker was petrified of maybe contracting the virus in some way, and his only way of defending himself against that was to pull out the gun. Yeah. And I think if yeah. we went to court with that, maybe it's a good shot. One underrated detail of him robbing all his friends at this, like, cookout or whatever. Oh, it is... wasn't even a bank? Yeah. No, you mentioned that three times. You were wrong all of them. So yeah. he, when he uh, when he pulled out the gun at the cookout, he took everyone's like jewelry that was on him after an argument. Best part, uh, they valued all the jewelry. It's like fifteen thousand dollar trade, fifteen thousand dollar trade, six hundred dollar fake Richard Milley watch, just just great. Uh, so for him to walk out thinking that he really uh, he really got his friend taking his watch like that to get a six hundred dollar fake piece of jewelry, real re- to risk your career over that, really something ruin to ruin your career over it. I mean, his career was kind of ruined with this this on the field play to begin with. So is it like a case of like he knows maybe he's not the best player, so he may as well you know roll the dice and just you know send it and rob some friends. Like I may just as think, well. you think like week seven he's getting torched on the field for like an eighty-five yard touchdown. He's like shit. I'm just gonna rob someone in the offseason. I mean, potentially that. I mean, also it was noted that he didn't show up to any of the Giants' virtual offseason programs. Right. Like, he wasn't in any of the, the virtual offseason programs. And instead, he was doing this, protecting the great citizens of Florida from, from people that have the coronavirus and going and killing them. You see, I should be on the defense team for, for DeAndre Baker. Francesca set this up, apparently. Oh, I mean, it is, no, it is an alpha move, though. It is an alpha move to rob all your friends. Think about it. He, he could be – if there's no draft, could he be in there? Could he be in there? What? I, yeah, and – um. Shit. All right, keep it moving. Um, Charlie, while you're on this lawyer trail, you know, why don't you defend Earl Thomas? Why don't you uh, get him to be, you know, the model citizen that he was before? What's no. your spin on that? I mean, different strokes, different folks. I don't know what to say. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yep. Okay, so let's move on to, you know, Vegas. They drop, they drop, first of all, spreads for the first two weeks of next year, which is cool. But they also dropped the win total over under. You know, that could be very hard to calculate. But us, so boys, you know, we know the game more than anyone. So we're going to give you the money picks. Um, we're going to go through all 32 teams spread. And, you know, we're going to just debate and talk about uh, how we feel about if they're going to hit the over or under for the win totals. Uh, we'll go in alphabetical order. We'll start with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, right now, Vegas has their over under set at seven wins. 
Gentlemen, what do we think of that? I'm going to go under. I think this is the big disappointment team this season. I think they're the 2019 Browns 2.0. They have all these, you know, hype beast picks at all these skill positions and, uh, and, but they're weak up front on both sides. And I think that's going to come back to haunt them. Happened to the Browns last year. I think it happens again with Arizona. Wait, is, is it seven and a half or six and a half or flat seven? Seven, seven on the dot. Wow, that, that, this gonna, makes it hard. I'm going to go over with that. I, I think that uh, the Cardinals are a perennial eight and eight team. They're never, they don't bottom out. They don't hit the top. They're just, they're always there. They, they're like, they're just a competitive team. They're not great. They're not bad. They're just in the middle. So I think eight and eight. Yeah, I, I think I think it'll push here. Honestly, I think I think they'll like go, they'll go like seven and nine, or like Cap said, you know, some sort of eight and eight. I think like that's a reasonable range for them. I mean, last year, I'm, I'm, what was their record last year? Forgetting probably probably six, six, nine. Six, <laughs> five, it's six nine and one, I think. Or okay, five. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can see, I can see like Kyler like throwing it up to like DeAndre Hopkins, like making like like making some game winning plays. You could see them getting like some bailout throws with Hopkins. Like I could see them like adding to that offense. Like obviously they have like noticeable holes all over the place, but still like adding like a top tier receiver like that's gonna win you some close games. Like definitely, definitely could pull out like a seven and nine and like an eight and eighteen. Yeah, I think. I think I'm going to go with uh, either pushing or the over here. I think that I don't think that seven wins is a minimum per se, but I think that that's going to be like either a little bit lower or exactly where they're going to fall. But overall, I think the Cardinals, like they, even though like Waffle mentioned, they didn't like really bolster up like the, the interior, like the line on either side of the ball. But I do think that they brought in a lot of like quality players obviously and i think that that could potentially give them maybe two, maybe two or three more wins than last year so so i'll be optimistic here take the over. yeah um i understand completely what law is saying like you see a lot of similarities with the browns you bring in a star receiver you don't address the the lines which are what win you games in this league so i totally get what he's saying like there is a lot of hype with them and i think this is a fair like win total to set it at at seven, I'll go just over, kind of similar like Cap said, like an eight and eight. Maybe not they get lucky. They do have a tough division, but, you know, Kyler, he's going to take a step forward in his second year. DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to hurt. Isaiah Thomas is still a baller. You know, like, despite them being hype picks, they're still going to help the football team out, and they can, like, narrowly get this over. I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, I'd say that they're going to So Next up, we have the Atlanta Falcons, you know. I think, Charlie, they were your Super Bowl team the year before. It's a yearly tradition that the team that I picked to win the Super Bowl massively underperforms and goes under 500. Yeah, so um, they're set at 7.5. That is their win total. What do we think of that? Under. I'm going, I'm going under here. Uh, you know, last year it seemed like – you know, blood was in the water. Dan Quinn was done about midway through the season. They they sort of turn it around. They play well at the end of the year, and they, they go out on, like, a somewhat high note. But when this happens, oftentimes, it's not fixed or good. The players played well for, like, one stretch of the season. It's going to be the same thing all over again. And if you start off slow, and if this time, if they start off slow, Dan Quinn's going to be gone, I, I don't think they're going to be able to get to eight wins. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, obviously, they have a lot of the same talent from that Super Bowl team. And, you know, people kept saying, like, people are saying, the people that think it's their year, like, when is when are they going to get back? They've got worse each year. I agree. Like, last year, that was a little bit smoke. Like, you're probably not going to beat the Saints in New Orleans again. They beat the 49ers at the end of the year, too. I just think at the end of the day, they don't have enough players on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball. They're injured every single year. 
And Dan Quinn, you know, he's kind of a lame duck coach. This is like a do or die year for him. I, I'm shocked he survived the year. Like all signs pointed to him being fired. They did go on that run to keep him, but I don't think they have the wherewithal to win eight plus games this year. Yeah, I'm also going to have to go under here. I just don't think that one of the reasons I'm picking the under is that I don't think that you can win games wearing those new uniforms that they're wearing. Like, just I, I just can't see a team wearing like gradient red to black uniforms. Like, I can't see that team like making the playoffs, right? But aside from that, like the biggest move that they made this offseason was like signing arthritis thrilled running back Todd Gurley, right? Yeah. That's like that's like the move they made. And then they reached for AJ Terrell in the in the first round this year. They didn't really like improve at a lot of positions. I felt like um they lost Austin Hooper. They traded a second round pick for Hayden Hurst. I thought that was odd. I mean, I guess you're like, yeah, you're replacing um Hooper, but Hooper. I, I didn't like but that. He's not move. Yeah, he's not going to reach the production that Hooper had. I just – I can't see the Falcons, like, doing well, especially with a uh, Bucks team that's, like – that's vastly improved this offseason and the Saints, who are one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, so I'm going to go under also. I just think it's a, it's a tough division with the Bucks and the Saints and, and maybe even the, the Panthers even pop out this season. So I think they're probably, like, a 7-9, and 6-10. And, 10. and uh, yeah, so – I'm going to hop on the bandwagon and go under, but, um, I mean, they, like, obviously at the end of the year in 2019, they like, they picked it up. They, they started to win some, like, clutch games, Niners, um, Saints and shit. Um, but I still can see them, even if they were, like, like to go under with their, their win over under, I wouldn't be surprised. And even if they went over, I wouldn't be surprised because they have, like, some good offensive weapons. Matt Ryan, proven quarterback, Julio Jones, Ridley. If Gurley can somehow have, like, a bounce back year, like, they could definitely, like, put it together if, like – all the pieces like fall into place. They could definitely have like a very high powered offense. Obviously the division's very tough with the saints and the bucks and possibly the Panthers could, could pop out next year, but I still, I wouldn't be surprised. You can go either way for me. Honestly, I can't really make a sure decision on that. Next up, we got the Ravens, you know, last year they were the regular season team of the year, 14 and two Vegas has their win total at 11 and a half. Dig in guys. What do you think of that? I'm going to have to, take the under here i think that wow. give nfl defensive coordinators a year to figure out this scheme a whole offseason potentially an potentially an extended offseason with a potential like pushback of the season so you give you give them like you give them more than enough time to to figure out how like to stop this this rushing attack that lamar jackson and mark ingram and now jk dobbins like like bring and the ravens i just don't think have enough good like wideouts to like expand the passing the passing game enough and i just i i think under i think it'll be a down year for them um so you know last year they went 14 and 2 and i definitely agree that they're going to get worse but i still think they can easily win 12 games i'm going to go over just at that you know you said give defenses a year to figure out lamar we said that going to last year right and he won mvp so you know that guy he just works hard i think he's going to stay he's going to stay as a good qb i don't think he's just going to you know, get figured out. Like, I think he just showed too much ability. His running ability is just too dynamic, I think. Like, obviously, the playoffs were concerning. The division is kind of tough, but, you know, last year they were so good. They didn't really lose anyone key. Uh, Marshall Yonda, you know. But I don't know. I love so, the J.K. Dobbins edition. Um, who was their first, first round pick again? Patrick Queen. That Patrick, I like a lot, but. My back from LSU. But I'm going to go, like, just over at 11 and a half here. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go just under. Uh, I, I like. I think they're like an 11 and five team this year, and that's not really like, like a uh, like a statement on the quality of the Ravens team. Last year, they they I think they really like they emptied the tank in the regular season to kind of prove that Lamar could put up numbers. I think this year they're gonna coast to like an 11 and five and be ready for the playoffs. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over here. I think uh, I think the Ravens are poised to just have a revenge season, like because they left a lot. They left you know they end up that season with uh, more to come, and I think that. They're going to be just poised to try to win, like, as much as games as possible. I think they're going to be chomping at the bit. The Chiefs, I think, yeah, I like a 12-1 season. I think the uh, – like, obviously, I think Lamar, like, personally, I believe Lamar's going to have a bit of a hangover next year. I've never been on, like, the Lamar hype train, even though he's an MVP. He's coming off an MVP season. I just think he's going to have it down. Like, eventually, he's going to take a hit or, like, they're just going to figure him out and how to stop his game. But, like – like the Ravens, like they have Hollywood Brown. I don't really know. I'm not really familiar with their four receiving core, but they don't have like insane weapons to get Lamar like to prove his passing ability. I still think, even though it's an MVP season, it's still a prove it year for Lamar in a way because he needs to win in the playoffs and show that he could actually win in those like defining moments. Because your MVP doesn't matter, honestly. It's more it important to a friend. Doesn't matter. It matters more for the franchise. You could actually win a Super Bowl and he could fill the fill the shoes of like Joe Flacco, take them to a Super Bowl and take them all the way and win. So it doesn't matter if Lamar puts up the craziest stats. If he gets fucking stomped by the Titans at home, doesn't even do anything. Like that doesn't matter at all. I still think the Ravens a lot of talent. Obviously, they're gonna do something. They're gonna have a bit of a down. It's hard to have like a same year in a fourteen two season. Definitely, I think they'll beat the over win like eleven or twelve games. Being in the playoffs, but it's still a proven year for Lamar. Um, okay, one thing, one thing I want to say about Lamar before we go here. Uh, we mentioned, like, the league figuring him out. My favorite thing is when, like, a mobile quarterback does well. Uh, I hear a lot of, like, quote-unquote smart football people see, like, I don't know how the league's going to figure them out. I don't know what they're going to do. And then every time they get figured out. So I'm not trying to hear from someone on ESPN. They're like, oh, how's the league going to figure out what Lamar does? Every single time there's a mobile quarterback that does well, they get figured out. And it's going to happen. Now, if Lamar adjusts, then that's really the the quality of player. But uh, I just hate when – when, when, like, I'm told by, like, people in the media, they're like, I don't know how they're going to figure this guy out. My favorite one was Colin Kaepernick. Oh, what are they going to do? This guy could throw the deep ball. This guy could run all over the place. Then he gets figured out. RG3, same thing. Cam Newton's MVP year, same thing. Yeah, eventually Lamar will get figured out. His response to that is going to dictate the future of the Ravens. But there's no way there's not going to be an adjustment to him. I mean, yeah, we'll, we're bank me, the over is me, Hearn and Cap, we're banking on him to adjust. Um Next up, we got the Bills. You know, your guys, the Josh Allen hype train moves on. We got the Bills at nine on the dot. What do we think of that? Over, over for sure. I think that uh, the division just kind of weak. The Patriots, obviously, uh, they got Stitt at quarterback. Who knows how that's going to go? Dolphins with two, that's a project. And then you got the Jets and Darnold. I just think they're better. And uh, Josh Allen's going to take a step and just be, like, I think, reach to a, a better tier of court uh, like the quarterbacks i think yeah I think, I think they'll probably win like 10 games and win the division go on to the playoffs obviously i'm gonna go over here you know me bills nation uh bills mafia um obviously the caps had divisions just like it, it's fucking barren after brady's leaving there the patriots have like no offense the jets are still in like a very like like vulnerable stage. The dolphins are fucking have a We're going to have a decent defense, but their offense still is very questionable. Josh Allen took a step forward uh, last year with the addition of Diggs in the offense and John Brown and Dawson Knox and Cole Beasley. That's a very strong receiving core. Also adding Josh Norman on defense. Um, like that's like a serviceable uh, addition to the secondary. 
added on with the division, I think like they're easily going to win 11 games, make make a deep playoff run to the AFC Championship, meet the Chiefs. That's all I'm going to say. I like that. Yeah, I'm going easy over here, and that's not even like saying the Bills are going to be some juggernaut. They could easily win 10 games in this division this year. And um, I think this year is the, where the defense really becomes like a dominant, dominant defense. Last year, you know, they they showed glimpses of it at times, but like in crunch time, that they they, uh, they tend to let up a little bit. You saw it in the Texans game; they got tired. I think this year they come out and they're just a dominant defense. It's going to be a really, really like like one of the greatest defenses of the 2020s is coming right now. Um, I'm going to go just over. I think 10 wins. You know, you said the division; it got much weaker without Brady there. He was a known Bills killer throughout his career, and, like, not having to go through him will be huge for the Bills, like, just to get the monkey off their back. It's key that they play in Buffalo this year with fans, though, because that's just, like, a different atmosphere. Like, December games in Buffalo are just insane. It's almost impossible to win there, despite how good the Bills are. Um, Yeah, so with the division, I'll go barely over. I'll go 10 wins. It was tough. I almost thought about a push. But, yeah, I'll I'll go the over with everyone else so far. I'm going to either go push or a little bit under here. Um, I think that this could potentially be a situation like the the 20, like you see this a lot of years and you see the 2017 Giants. I'm not saying they're going to be as bad as them, right? They were god off. I don't think it'd be that bad. But maybe like the 2018, the 2019 Bears, maybe. I could see, I could see a situation where that happens where they just kind of like overall regress after a year where like they weren't extremely productive offensively, but the defense got it done a lot of the time. I think maybe history could repeat itself here. And then we see a similar situation to that. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think it'll be as extreme in terms of like the losing that the giants had after 2016 or like the terrible quarterback play that we saw from Trubisky this year. But I think that they'll just kind of overall regress and potentially and go under 10 and go under 10 wins. So either push or under. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you make, you make good points that the defense though, I just think is like so good. It'll keep them in games. I do agree. Like, I think they're in the eight to 10, like how lucky they get will depend their outcome, but I'm just going to go barely over. Um, next up we have the Panthers. You know, we had two of you guys mentioned before, you know, sneaky Panthers. We'll see what you guys think. They're over under a set at five and a half wins. Uh, what do you guys think of that? This is a tough one. I think I'm going to have to go, uh, I think I'm going to have to go under, uh, but not there. I don't think they're going to be necessarily like a one and 15, two and 14 team, but I think five and 11 sounds just about right for them this year. And, um, and like first year with Matt rule, whole new system has to be implemented. It's going to take a little bit. Uh, they, they lost obviously Luke Keekley on defense. They're going to have to make up for that. They drafted uh, seven defensive players in the draft. And, uh, you know, so they have a lot of like young pieces coming in. It's going to take some time to adjust. And I think by the end of the season, like Panthers fans are going to be kind of excited but I don't think it's going to be uh, – it's not going to be fired on all cylinders like throughout uh, year one of this Matt Rule regime. Yeah, I think that I'll, I'm also going to go under here. I, I really see them being one of the like one of the three or four teams at the top of the draft this upcoming year. I just don't – I think that they're in a very tough division. I think that they, they really kind of like regressed overall over the offseason. I didn't like a lot of the moves they, they made necessarily. Um, I just I, – I just don't um, – I don't think that they'll they'll do well. I think that they'll be like one of the worst teams in the league next year. Yeah, I mean, Matt Rule's given a seven-year deal. So, like, just right there, he's going to be given all the time in the world to rebuild this thing. And I don't think he's going to do it in one year. You know, their offense was terrible last year once Kyle Allen got figured out quickly. 
They added zero offensive players in the draft. So you know, I think Matt Rule just feeling out what he has on the roster, going huge on defense, and I think he's going to build this thing slowly. This isn't meant to be like a linear progression, just exponential progression, sorry. One year, massive win total. Five and a half, I'll go under four, four five wins, especially in that division, having to face Brady and Breeze four times a year. I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'll also take the under. Uh, I do. I think Matt Rule, when you look at him, he started off a of Baylor, Baylor there one and eleven, so it wasn't instant success. Obviously, it took like maybe a year they got good, but I think they'll start off slow. I think they'll be competitive still. I think you can maybe compare them to last year's Dolphins team. The record's not great, but they are competitive, and I think that's what they're going to be. They'll probably win like four to five games, or they'll be competitive. And I think for years to come, they'll be good because Matt Rule is just a winner. Um, I'm going to go under. Uh, because I'm basing this off like my previous uh, Falcons projection, because I have the Falcons like doing fairly well, and then on top of that with the Saints and the um, and the Bucks, like it's I just see like no like it's gonna be very tough for the division. I see them wearing winning some like out of division games. They play some shitter teams. Like definitely could definitely could win some games with Bridgewater, but um, I think it's just gonna be a really tough season for them. Like obviously you're gonna see some flashes with Matt Rule. Like if he get puts in a good system, like they'll definitely get some hope out of this because they have a long term coach now. But I think it's still going to be a very like tough season for them, considering like how strong the division is now. So I just think it's not going to be like the best year for the Panthers, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, next up, we got the Chicago Bears. Their win total is set at eight on the dot. I'm going to start off here. I'm going to go heavy under. I think this is going to be one of the worst teams in the league in terms of win total from last year. I think this is it for Nagy and Pace. You know, Trubisky, I just, you know, you've seen what you've seen from him. The team didn't really add anyone in free agency. They've been in salary cap hell, having to pay Khalil Mack all that money. Their defense is aging. They're, you know, they're just getting older. Um, yeah, and I don't believe in Trubisky. You know, Foles, I don't think he's going to come in there and win a bunch of games. You know, we saw him struggle a lot in Jacksonville. They need a lot more help. You know, Nagy's been getting lazy at times, calling plays, so... I'm going to see this as like one of these nightmare teams who have kind of big expectations and kind of just like maybe Nagy even gets fired mid-year. I just I'm not high on the Bears at all going into 2020. Yeah, I do agree with that. I definitely think this is a you just got to hammer the under here. Uh, the, the just the vibe around the Bears right now is just it's it's uh it's not very like hopeful at all. Pretty damper toned going into the season uh, with a Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky quarterback uh, battle. And uh, I, I just think, like, if they're switching quarterbacks throughout the year, like, if you have two, you really have none. And it's going to be, like, it's just going to be a tough season in Chicago. I agree with that, too. Although I am huge Nick Foles guy, I do, I do feel that this this team is just going to blow up. And I think they're going to have a really bad season. I'd hammer the under as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I think Nagy's probably going to – I think he's seen his days. And I think, yeah, that'll be done for them. Yeah, I'm gonna also have to, to go with the under. Like Law, like Law said, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Um, if like there's gonna be this whole looming QB controversy between Foles and um, Trubisky, probably gonna end up going with Foles. Um, especially with the um, uh, the Bears are not uh, exercising the fifth year option of Trubisky. I just think that this year is gonna be like a, a chaotic year for the Bears overall, and it and things are just not gonna not gonna work out. And they they'll miss the playoffs again, and I'm gonna have to take the under. Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna hit the under too there because obviously, like, totally agree with the two quarterback situation. It's very tough. Like Trubisky, like I think I could see him starting first three games, just like shitting it up. Foles comes in, doesn't really know what's going on, has like a bad year, 
they're they're paying they're paying him like a decent amount of money too, Foles. That seems weird. Um, like Foles obviously has proven himself in the Super Bowl and shit, but I just don't see him like carrying a team to to the playoffs at all. I think they're gonna be like a very lackluster, disappointing team, and the Bears just gonna have another like like high hopes year and just like under deliver. And I think probably it's gonna be a huge like regime change to the, with the Bears organization. Next up, we have the Bengals. You know, obviously last year the worst team in the league. They're adding Joey B from LSU. Five and a half is their win total. What do we think of that? This is a tough one. Um, but I think I'm going to have to go slightly under. Five seems right to me. Um, while I like they, they I do like their coach and quarterback combo. I thought Zach Taylor at times last year was pretty impressive. Week one against Seattle, he coached a good game. But um, I And before the wheels really fell off on the Bengals, they were competing. Like in every game. But I will say, um, like with and with Joe Burrow coming in, like that should be uh, like an upgrade, bring a spark to the team. But they're really weak. Uh, like they're another team that's re- really weak up front, and they're they're gonna have a lot of troubles protecting their young quarterback in year one. And uh, I think you know they'll score a lot of points. They'll be kind of flashy, but five wins seems about right to me. Yeah, five four wins, like an improvement from last year. It seems right to me. I didn't have a problem with Zach Taylor in his first year. wasn't given much help at all. And, yeah, the O-line was not addressed the way it needed to. Yeah, the defense is very weak, too. You know, Burrow, all everyone on his defense got drafted last year. He's probably going to be going into a worse team than last year. Um, he's going to be getting pressured a lot more than he was at LSU. And, yeah, I think they'll put up some points. It'll be fun. They're, they'll improve. They'll probably compete in more games. But, yeah, the win totals just won't be there. I don't see them getting six or more wins. I'll go under as well. Um, I'll probably go under here, like slightly under, like a five-win kind of situation. Um, like they have some decent receivers. They obviously have Joe Joe Burrow, the Tiger King. They're adding to the offense, but obviously, like he was on like an insane LSU team. Like he didn't have to deal with like getting like nagged by like edge rushers and and, and interior rushers. Obviously, in the NFL, the pocket's not going to be clean all the time because you're playing. It's the best playing the best. So I think Joe Burrow's going to have definitely have trouble in the pocket a little more. It's like he's not going to be putting up crazy numbers. I I don't believe. I still think it's going to be like a, like a definitely a step forward because you're adding like a young like hot gun quarterback like with some decent receivers at a T Higgins like definitely going to be some signs of improvement step step in the right direction it's probably going to be like a similar to like the Panthers kind of situation like not the season they wanted but some hope was shown so I think like a four or five win year would be pretty reasonable for the Bengals. Yeah, so I'd, I'd probably take the under as well. Uh, I do love Joe Burrow, and I think he's going to have a great career. It's just not going to be this year. It's gonna, you got to give it some time. Also, with the division, the Ravens are going to be great. Uh, and I think the the Steelers and the, the Browns will both be competitive. So it's a tough division for them. So, yeah, I'd see them going under five wins for sure. Yeah, that, that division is going to be tough for them, especially when they didn't address the offensive line. You have teams like, the Steelers, who have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, you're going to have to play them twice a year. And then, like, the Ravens, obviously, their defense is good, but their pass rush isn't, like, insane, but still, like, they have a really good defense. I just don't think that the the Bengals, like, have enough yet to be able to, like, break through, like, even, uh, like, a 6-10 and 10 season. I, I, I just don't like their roster break, break down. I just don't think that they'll, like, overall, their team isn't that, isn't that good, even with Joe Burrow. Next up, we have the Browns. You know, last year's hype team of the year. It's now at eight and a half wins. Uh, very interesting to see what Baker does in his third year. I'm going to take the under here. You know, their schedule is kind of easy, which is why they're getting hype again. A lot of people have them 
in the playoffs. But with that division, I expect the Steelers to be competitive yet again. I expect the Ravens to be just as good as last year. And I just don't think the Browns, you know, they don't have the wherewithal to do it. Stefanski, I don't know how great he'll turn out. Um, I just don't think, you know, the Browns are not run well ever. Baker, this is a do-or-die year for him. He's like 26 this year. He's got the weapons. He didn't really click with Odell at all last year. So I'm just going the under here on Cleveland. I think I'm going to take the over here. Um, They don't really even need to be like the greatest team to win nine games. Um, And they have a super easy schedule this year. Uh, Like just getting Freddie Soup Kitchens out of there is going to add some uh, some some stability and they're kind of like an actual professional organization now you know there's less drama coming in and out of the organization besides Baker of course and um I think like just the addition of like some adults in the room is just going to help them uh, immensely so I think they can easily win nine games this year so yeah I'd, I'd probably just take the under I feel like uh it's just hard to set the bar for Browns. I think people are up up with them again, and uh, I just don't think that they're going to reach that center. They're still the Browns. Um, they there's just one ball. They got a ton of weapons. They got Odell. They got Jarvis Landry. They got Nick Chubb. There's one ball, and I feel like they they, they just they're not going to all get it to them the right way, and it's going to cause controversy. And yeah, I think this is they're just going to go under this year. Oh uh, yeah, I'll probably take the over here. Um, obviously getting like Freddie Kitchens out of there, like totally just like, just like, just like meatball coaching that, that offense and that team just got, doesn't, God doesn't know what's going on. Probably trust her to do a better job coaching the Browns. Um, yeah, I think Baker, what, what, what like, are you trying to say about me? I'm saying you're better than, than Freddie Kitchens, Chester. That's what I'm saying. So that's cool. Hey, um, giant side ends coach Freddie Kitchens. Yeah. So. Yeah, so now they're going to have uh, – trust you made me lose my fucking train. Stefanski coaching. Uh, probably probably be a step up. We would all think probably a step up. Baker is – everyone hates on Baker. He's not as good as everyone thought he's going to be, obviously, to be the number one pick. But he's not that bad. And especially with having Odell, Jarvis, and uh, Chubb, like they have like offensive weapons there. Like they should be able to like win some games with some clutch throws. Like Baker is a playmaker, known for his like, playmaking ability in college at least. I think it can tr- that'll translate this year. Prove it year. Baker's going to be a dog this year. I think the Browns are actually like kind of make some noise and uh, have put out a decent year, maybe make the playoffs as a wild card. You never know. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree with Cap here about them being just like super unpredictable. So I'm honestly just going to say push. Like I think just like exactly nine wins. I have no clue like what's going to happen with them. Like they're just such a hard team to predict because of like – there, there's there's all there's just the Browns are just generally that team like when they have hype around them like they're pretty unpredictable um and I could I could see it going either way again first year head coach and Kevin Stefanski you don't last year people were optimistic about Freddie Kitchens people were even picking Freddie Kitchens to potentially be the coach of the year right oh, who so was, I'm not who was smoking that crack that thought a lot of people were smoking that crack then right but um fucking Chester crackhead most Freddie Kitchens Hey, he's a great tight. He's a great position coach. I don't know. What to impression, say. Charlie. Um, All right, continue. But I, I just I see her. Her just like threw me off right there. But um, fuck you. Um, I uh, I th- I think that I just think that they'll either push and honestly maybe maybe under. I'm just not push super eight, high on push the eight and a half. They'll push eight what? and a half. Oh, it's eight and a half? I thought you said it was nine. 
Okay, so if it's, I think, I think it'll be like, I think they'll go eight and eight. Then. I think, I think, uh, I think, I think uh, the, the under. Okay. So that is the first eight uh, that we're gonna do. We're gonna do four parts for the over unders. Uh, we're going in alphabetical order. We'll start off with the Cowboys next time, and we'll go down the list. So you know, coming up after the break, we're gonna do a Knicks. You know, we're gonna go over everything that's happened just the last few decades, why they've been losing. It's a good segment. Stay tuned. We're back. So being a New York-based podcast, you know, obviously we're not the biggest NBA fans, but we we bleed for our Knicks. We're Knicks all the way. Knicks tape. Uh, Knicks tape. And just watching this doc, you know, you saw like you see the 90s Knicks. They made the playoffs every year. They made two finals. They were a foe to be reckoned with. And since then, you know, since we were born, maybe it was the say it ain't so curse. Literally the year we were born, they just fell off, right? So we're just kind of going to go over, you know, we'll start mostly with what happened um, after that good year in 2012, but we'll go over some key moves before then. So uh, James Doney takes over in 1999, the year they make the finals, and an overhaul immediately happens. Patrick Ewing, franchise icon, gets traded. Um, Van Gundy resigns. You know, he was the coach during that finals run the year before. And this started a stretch of 12 head coaches in 18 years and the worst record in basketball since he resigned. So pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong. And it started with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he got hired after being fired from his last two teams. And he would then trade, you know, he traded all his picks away. Picks that became Gordon Hayward, LaMarcus Aldridge, Jakeem Noah, and Nay. So those are four, you know, formidable players, all-stars, um, you know, just not very good at his job. He just continued to trade around first-round picks. In 2008, they get the eighth pick. Steph Curry goes seven. So, like, everything is going wrong. They hire Mike D'Antoni in 2008 along the way. They fire Isaiah Thomas for basically running, like, a respectful organization to the ground. Um, then they, you know, they try to make a run at LeBron in 2010. They trade cap. They trade first-round picks to try to create salary for LeBron. They're bringing Amari, who had constant knee issues, kind of a theme for his Knicks career. Yeah. And then the year after, yeah, uh, yeah. Bringing in Amari, uh, at the time, it was kind of viewed as a big splash, but that was really just an example of they were the only team willing to offer Amari multiple years because it was it was the word around the league that Amari had no cartilage left. And uh, so if, like his knees were completely shot, and then it did play out that way. Yeah, we'll see a parallel here of, like, the Knicks missing on their guy. And then the way they rebound is just, like, it's better off. They just didn't do anything. So they overpaid Amari. They brought him in. And they were pretty competitive the next year. That's when they made the big Mello splash, right? They traded four starters and two firsts for Mello, which was kind of like a franchise-altering move, bringing in a star like him. When they could have waited till free agency the next offseason, or that offseason, he was a free agent. He'd said he wanted to go to New York. You know, we know Melo. He's not going to stay in Denver. So it was controversial to bring him in midseason. But, you know, they said they're going for it all. They got swept that year. Then we, you know, we reached this peak where they're kind of good. The next year is Linsanity. Um, you know, Melo's not very pleased with Linsanity. But, like, that's probably the peak of New York basketball in our lifetime. Like, Jeremy Lin's two-week stretch was just, like, amazing to see. Never forget, yeah. I mean, Lynn Sanity, he waves off Mello, then just, like, clips a three. Like, that's yeah, all-time. Toronto. Yeah, in, in Toronto. Toronto. All-time Knicks moment. He's like, he's like, 
see you, Melo. Let me pull up in this in this like Italian player's mouth, like bang, wins the game for the Knicks. Insanity. Harvard graduate, awesome guy. Love them. Saw me saw me and Loft play basketball one time. People forget. And Cat. Saw Jeremy, oh, Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy Lynn was yeah. Jeremy Lynn was in the house when when Where? me, Cap and, and Loft were, were playing. Yeah, we, we got to play on the, on the Fordham court oh, like Fordham. at halftime of a game oh, when they were playing I Harvard. Was I was there. I was there. Yeah. People forget that. And they got upset. Yeah, they I got was on up, that team. Oh, I was yeah. on that team. Fordham upset, Fordham upset a ranked Harvard team. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Someone said Jeremy Lin went to see the game, but I think he went to see you, Charlie. Oh, absolutely. No. Chester was Chester was on a monumental tear there. Chester was averaging like stretch five. Like no, nah, Chester was like point center. Chester was averaging like four and eighteen with six fouls or a stretch there. He was really killing it. Yeah, the Paul yeah. So, yeah, the Paul yeah, thing. I think, I think that was just we had Loftus the two way lock. Loftus the two way lock. I think I think that was just some scouting for uh for Chesspass there from Jeremy Lynn. Maybe get the word yeah, in. Her, Jeremy Lynn phoned D'Antoni after the game was like, yeah, we gotta we gotta look at this uh, Chester guy, seven year old. Coming out, coming out of OLPH. Yeah, I went to watch the Fordham game, and at halftime, this kid just jumped off the court, man. This kid had it all. This guy this guy was yeah. just – this was a man amongst boys. Man-child, Chester I think, I think, dominant. Yeah, Chester had a putback dunk on, like, on like some Fordham guard. It was insane. Yeah, I think I think he was the guy that, that the Knicks should have looked at, you know, to, like, uh, turn the franchise around. I've never but. seen a rim shake like that of Chester catching a lob from half court and throwing it down with one end. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. <laughs> The vibration you felt on the court after Chester hammered that shit home was something I'll never forget. Seven on the Richter scale. <laughs> it's crazy. Charles Bass, eighth grader, standing standing six feet five and three hundred pounds. I mean, like, how are you stopping that guy yeah. coming downhill? That's a locomotive. Sea Bass really made you pay when you went to the paint. Man. Yeah, he was the bringer oh, of the paint when the, the chuck when the chuck wagon's coming down the lane. Like, you think you're going to take the charge, you feel good about it. Then you see him you going airborne, down. and then all of a sudden, you don't want to take the charge no more. And let's just you say this for the, po- for the podcast viewers: uh, Charlie's a massive dude. He is six he is. feet five inches tall and three hundred pounds. Like, this is this is like an old Miss left tackle, born I'm, out of rock. Like, some people say I'm Larry Mutunsel. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Picture Laramie Tunzel skying through the air to throw a tomahawk dunk down. That's what we saw when we were in like sixth grade. Yeah. So you can imagine how that wasn't Our Lady of Perpetual Helps uh, CYOB team. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So this is like this is the this is the good factor. You know, this is the good time in Knicks basketball. They get close. They lose four one to LeBron's Heat and then to the Pacers the next year, and then this is where shit really goes wrong. The, the really bad move they make here that sets them back is they trade Marcus Camby and a one for that Italian you just brought up, Andrea Bargnani. You know, Jeremy Lin had to degrade him, had to dehumanize him in Toronto. Alpha him. And then the Knicks go at like, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll pick up this guy money. after our star after our star point guard just like just like laid one. Is this uh, is this when Phil Jackson got involved? No, no. So so this is the last move before the Phil Jackson era. And one more note, they were offered Kyle Lowry, all-star point guard, and now NBA champion instead of Bargnani, and they refused and took Bargnani instead. I mean, you got to just wonder what was going on through the front office there. I mean, like, you see Kyle Lowry and Bargnani, you're like, yeah, Bargnani. Yeah, we'll pick him up. He was, yeah, he already busted at that point. Like, you already knew what he was. And then this starts the Phil Jackson era. This was 39 months. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation. You know, here's A. Lamar Odom, he was on crack. He was not the first move. That was brought in. Phil Jackson's first move was to bring in Shannon Brown, another, like, wash player from those Lakers teams. It was not Lamar Odom on crack. Like, Stephen A., 
you know, we know that famous rant. He was wrong on that one, first off. Yeah, and the idea that, that Phil Jackson was really, like, tying the Knicks to Lamar Odom was just ridiculous. L- like, f- uh, Phil Jackson wasn't clearing cap space to sign Lamar Odom. Let's be very it was clear an about eight- that. It was, like, midway through April. He was hired, like, two months before. It was just, like, a like in 10-day, like, just keep you on the bench, you know, check up on how you're doing since you're on crack. Um, and then this is where, like, he actually starts making moves. So that offseason – a new head coach. He fires Mike Woodson, who led them to that 50-win season a few years ago. And it's down to two guys for the job, right? Steve Kerr and Derek Fisher. Which one do you think became the Knicks head coach? Derek Fisher. And this T- was- To be fair, this was no fault of the Knicks. They offered Steve Kerr. He picked another job. Yeah, no. It was between the two. And just like it seems, you know, uh, the last 20 years, the Knicks just missed out on the right guy for the job. And Derek Fisher... He had an interesting run as the Knicks. I'll say that. You know, he did. He was in the news a lot, but it was not for wins. Yeah. So Derek Fisher, kind of a noted scumbag at this point, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, you know, was coaching rookie Clay Anthony early. Had an affair with his girlfriend while he was coaching him. Mm-hmm. People do forget that. Derek Fisher gets in the incident with Matt Barnes, or Matt Barnes drives to like a barbecue to kick his ass. Yeah. Uh, ju- just a lot of like like incidents with Derek Fisher that you don't need as the head coach of the Knicks, and also he couldn't coach he couldn't coach his way out of a shoebox, so that really didn't help him either. And uh, as like it was just uh, it was just rough from the start. As soon as Derek Fisher was out there coaching, you could tell this guy had no yeah. idea what was going on. He, he like he was brought in by Phil because he ran his triangle offense when he was the Lakers point guard, and he even said like under his breath a few times like what the fuck is this offense? Like he didn't know jack shit about the triangle. It was very prevalent. Also, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s girlfriend to have an affair with Fisher as well. Like, Tim Hardaway Jr. was like, did you sleep with my coach to his girlfriend? Like, that's never something you want to ask your girlfriend. So this uh, was not the best move for the Knicks. Then he goes with his first big trade. He trades defensive player in the year, Tyson Chandler, for Jose Calderon, Shane Larkin, and Samuel Dallenbear. Tyson Chandler on the Knicks was one was one of the best bigs in the league. He was perfect for what the Knicks were doing. He made up for all of Melo's defensive lapses. He covered up all the holes that they had on their team. One defensive player of the year, as you stated, but somehow didn't make all defensive first team. Dwight got it over him. Yeah. People forget that. But he, he, he really just did a ton for that team. An underrated uh, offensive game as like a diver to the rim. He was a big part of that team. He was kind of like the heart and soul of that Knicks team. Yeah. Uh, that was really solid. He played tough defense. He did all the dirty work. He didn't command a lot. He didn't command the ball on offense. He's a great guy to have if you're trying to win, and especially at that time. And so, so to move him and then say we're still trying to compete is is really disappointing. And then that year, the Knicks did the exact opposite of competing. They ended up going 17 and 65, their worst record in franchise history. With you know all these guys, Jose Calderon was 33. Like he's an old guy. Samuel Dombert was old. But midway through that season. He trades two valuable role players who ended up being key, like key cogs for the LeBron's Cavs team. He trades J.R. Smith, former sixth man of the year, and Amon Shumpert for Lou Amundsen, Alex Kirk, Lance Thomas, and a second-round pick. Yeah, sixth man of the year, anything is possible, J.R. Smith. Another guy that was so big in that 2012 Knicks team. He was an instant spark off the bench, underrated two-way player as it came out to, as you saw later in Cleveland. And the thing with Jr. he's viewed as like this uh, spark plug, like six man guy, who just who just chucks and gets in there. Every team Jr. has been on has been a winning team. He helped the 2012 Knicks, those Nuggets teams, those Hornets teams. He goes on and wins a title in Cleveland, huge part of that. 
And uh, so, like, that's a guy where that's just a mystery by Phil. He thought, like, I can't win with this guy. This guy doesn't get it done. JR is a winning player. And it turns out Amon Shumpert also did a lot of things well. Yeah. Amon Shumpert was a big part of that 2012 team. Great three, a great d- defensive guy. Not really a great shooter yet, but he he was a good slasher. He did a lot of things well. Great athlete, obviously. And so to give up on him that early into his career is another interesting move. You, people forget uh, in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals, uh, Shumpert had uh, a huge four-point play that ended up being uh, – Four points that got them got them over the hump against the Warriors. Yeah, those two guys were huge in the 2016 Cavs. I know. So, yeah, I mean it's crazy they'd give up Jr. Considering that like all the plays you'd make for them, like just an insane athlete. Like all those dunks. Like you look up poster like compilation on YouTube. J is like it's like ten Jr. dunks are in there. Like on the Nuggets making plays, and then the Knicks in the playoffs against the Heat has a double clutch reverse dunk in the playoffs. Like, come on, the Garden was electric. Like, Jr. was a perfect guy for that. For yeah, that. Jr. was like was like a selfless player, would just make plays when he needed to. Great play was like it was like a, was good on defense, like, and just made insane like acrobatic plays in the air. Like, that's just a guy you need. The spark plug. He's a winning just, player. Yeah, just lights up the Garden. The Garden's electric. You could feel the air. It's crazy. Then he just goes off to Cleveland, wins a championship, and it's like, yeah, it's like, what are you talking about, Knicks? I'm the GOAT. I'm the GOAT six, man. A little yeah. off topic, but uh, one of the guys during this run, Steve Novak, the guy was an amazing player. Sad to yep. see that he had the clip. was a little, the clip. little behind in times. I think if he was playing, like, right yeah. now, he'd be, like, he'd be a star. He doesn't belong too early. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan, Anderson, Ryan Anderson and Chandler Parsons got huge contracts. If, if Steve Novak comes around five years later, he's he has like hundred million dollars in the bank. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I mean that like big, big, tall, like white guy with the clip. Like that's like very prevalent today. He'd be like a Porzingis, like 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 Doncic kind of guy, just like just running around. <laughs> yeah. <playing>. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about Doncic. just Steve Novak in twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> or like Joe Kitsch. He'd be like Joe Doncic. Is Luka Doncic yeah. or Steve Novak with a hot mom? I mean, Steve Novak and, and, and Doncic in a one-on-one, you know, anyone could take that. What I was going to say, though, yeah, it turns out JR is a winning player. Even now the Lakers are, are trying to sign – we're trying to sign JR before the coronavirus uh, lockdown hit. Like, he's a guy winning teams want. He, he plays well on good teams, and the Knicks just didn't really realize that. Where is JR right now? He's unemployed. He's unemployed? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I legitimately think one of these guys in the deal the Knicks got, I've never heard of. He didn't play a game for them. Alex Kirk, after we just pumped up Chester, like he's probably a more known basketball player than this guy. Yeah. yeah. Charlie they traded two finals rotation guys for this guy. Yeah, and Dallenbear was completely shot. Yeah, Dallenbear. Uh, Jose Calderon missed 50 games, uh, came back and couldn't score. So, yeah, the Knicks went 17 and 65 last year, this year, 2015. I just want to read out the starting lineup from one of the games. Like, this is just embarrassing. You know, the Knicks were great two years ago. They had all these known guys. This was their lineup in game, like, 75. Underrated part of the 2012 team before you go. They were, like, 11 deep. Yeah. And now they can't even roll out, like, an NBA starting five for five straight years, as you'll get into right here. As this was their starting five. Lou Amundsen, Andrea Bargnani, Langston Galway, Alexi Shved, Lance Thomas. I mean, that's your starting five. A uh, common theme here, by the end of the season for the Knicks from 2015 through 2019, it's the the starting five is just players you wouldn't recognize. A lot of G League guys playing at the end of the year starting, and then Knicks fans hyping themselves up over, like, a Luke Cornette type. And yeah. it's really disappointing, and, like, you'll see, like, like this isn't something that happens to good franchises. Yeah, you don't, you don't run out lineups like this, like, the entire season. With no, in, like, with one injury. Melo was hurt. 
But even with one injury, this lineup wouldn't look much better if you just do Melo in there instead of Lance Thomas. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, they end the way in the most way they could. They win two of three to end the year to bump their odds from first to second. So they go from, you know, the Timberwolves past them, and then they end up getting upset in the draft. They're supposed to get the second pick. They get upset. They get the fourth pick. And as this is going on, a legendary like Phil Jackson, they should have known to fill fire Phil Jackson on the spot here. It's when the Warriors, this is the Warriors' first year of the dynasty. They go down 2-1 to the Grizzlies, and he sends out this famous tweet, like chirping the Warriors for building their team around the three ball. That's how you build teams, right? He's chirping them for that by saying, um, how is that going? He mispronounces going, misspells going, spells it with a K instead of a G. The Warriors came back from 2-1 to win that finals and two more. And it was because they were shooting threes that Phil Jackson started trolling them, which was the entire NBA. So you have to know you're in trouble here. Yeah. Um, And then so with that fourth overall pick, I guess it was kind of a blessing in disguise because the perfect guy fell to them, Chris Porzingis. Yeah, a complete, like, having the board fall to them this way. And Phil Jackson making that pick to give him some credit, taking a European at four. But, um, yeah, to have this happen, very fortunate. I, you know, Pick was obviously hated at the time. This guy doesn't even have a green card, all that stuff. Uh, for him to come in, and he, he was instantly just, like, one of the team's best players. Yeah, I mean, the year after, Dragon Bender went for, and he, he's out of the league. Like, they could have very well gone in that direction. But they get Kristaps a home run pick. You know, he does everything you want. They also, they traded Tim Hardaway Jr., who was kind of a diamond in the rough. He ended up contributing, you know, some big minutes for that terrible Knicks team for Jerry and Grant, who just can't play basketball. So they end up, though, getting Chris Stapps. Phil's definitely best move of his career. You give him a ton of credit for being able to scout him. And then that summer, like, they have all the cap space in the world. They just spend, they uh, decide to spend it on guys who won't be there in a year. Aaron Alfalo, Robin Lopez, Derek Williams, and Kylo Quinn. So, like, that's Okay, this was the team where they were trying to compete. Well, next year yeah. is the is the team where it's the big four. We'll get yeah. into that in a minute. Yeah. But this is where you really see, like, Derek Rose, like, cannot coach a basketball team. Derek this Fisher. Is, yeah, sorry, Derek Fisher. We'll get um, to Derek Rose. Yeah, we'll get to Derek Rose, all right. Um, Loth was saying how he's having affairs with, you know, multiple of his players left and right. I mean, Clamp and Arrow, like, that's a second-round pick. That's a rookie. His confidence has to be shot after that. I mean, you get baited by your coach. Like, get cucked. Yeah, you get cucked by your coach. Tim Hardaway Jr. like got in like a confrontation with his girlfriend, like swearing that she was sleeping with him. He ends up sleeping with Matt Barnes' girlfriend. There's that ugly like fist fight they get into. So Phil, you know, he fires him. He does what's right. He hires Kurt Rambis, who immediately posts porn on Twitter by accident. Um, <laughs> All time moment. Claims he's had. Claims it, it stayed in there. Stayed in his likes for days. So yeah. it wasn't even something where, like, someone caught it for a second where you could say it's fake. I'm pretty sure if you went on Kurt Rams' Twitter right now and you scrolled down enough, you could see a girl getting throated. Um, but what I'll say is, like, Kurt Rams is just another guy that can't coach his way out of a shoebox. Uh, just bad hire after bad hire. And, um, you yeah, know, but it was good to get Derek Fisher out of there. Toxic hire. But mm-hmm. they, they just had, they couldn't go in the right direction. And so then, you know, that season ends. They win 30 games. So not really much of an improvement. Now we'd want to see Phil decides – after the season, to hold a triangle seminar with multiple players who will not play another game for them. Like, he holds them with impending free agents who are out the door. He does that, and then the new coach 
Wrestling Surge starts it the next week. He goes on vacation. So, like, you, you can just tell that Phil really did not care. Like, it's just very prevalent to see. Like, we see in the last dance how great of a coach he was. You know, if he tried, I'm sure he could have made it work out. Like, you see how successful he ended up being. So then this year is, like, the most memed Nick year. He makes a big trade. He trades Robin Lopez, Jose Calderon, and busts Jerry and Grant for Derrick Rose. So I mentioned Derrick Rose in a second. Uh, he'll have a, a very well-known one year for the Knicks. They'll also use that cap space that they created, trading Robin Lopez, to sign Jakeem Noah to maybe the worst contract, one of the worst contracts in NBA history. As well as Courtney Lee. As well as Courtney Lee, yes. To four years, 73. And so then the infamous Bleach Report, like Big Four post comes out. It's KP, Mello, D. Rose, and Jakeem Noah. That's the Big Four. Derek Rose is quoted saying, yeah, like, I think it's going to be us and the Warriors next year. Like those who are, they're going to talk about those two teams as the super teams. And you know, right there, it's just not going to go well when he says a statement like that. Yeah. And bringing in D Rose, um, he wasn't necessarily completely shot, but he was clearly not the same guy and they needed him to be like a level up from where he was. I think he was still like 18 and five, but he yeah. just, uh, his legs were kind of gone at the rim. He couldn't finish as well. He wasn't really a threat anymore driving. And um, also, like, like this was the point where Mello wasn't necessarily the same guy, and he was on the way down as well. And Joakim Noah, one of the worst players I've ever seen play for the Knicks. Like, I'm almost certain, like, jo- like a lot of people say, like, this guy's in the a- NBA because he's tall. Joakim Noah's in the NBA because he's tall. Don't say that about, like, Clint Capella. Joakim Noah is the least athletic piece of shit I've ever seen. The guy can't, the guy is the least coordinated basket professional athlete I've ever seen. The, the guy just can't, he has no idea what he's doing with his hands. He can't shoot. He can't really, like, he's just like a heart guy for the Bulls. And yeah. um and he he was just a product of playing with a bunch of good players I think he he really just ha- he was giving them nothing out there. I mean he averaged four points the year before and then the Knicks decided that was worthy of eighteen million for four years at thirty years right. old. I'm not mad at Noah for taking the contract, but no. you, know, you take that offer. But this is really just a terrible situation. He he cannot play. So this is like he signs the four them or that's the big four and Courtney Lee who will come back later in the story. And, you know, this goes about as poorly as you expected. Melo, as you said, he's on the way out. Derek Rose is clogging the ball. You have a superstar 21-year-old in KP not getting the basketball because he's like the third go-to option on this team. They win uh, 32 games this year. And Derek Rose throughout the year has the um, infamous just leaves and doesn't tell anyone to go back to Chicago. And the team has a game. He's like in the starting lineup and just doesn't show up at the stadium. Yeah, just, like, the Knicks are really the only franchise that would happen to them. And somehow, like, they're the most valuable franchise in the league, but this happens to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, D-Rose just goes goes AWOL for, like, 48 hours. They have no idea where he is. He doesn't show up to the game. Then he comes back, He comes back and, it, like, everything's supposed to be normal. He just took a hiatus to, like, yeah. go see his kid. Didn't tell the team anything. Really just, like, That's the Knicks are just a complete dumpster fire at this point. I think there were, like, even reports that his was dead first like awful things and you feel terrible for him and then it's like no he just left and didn't say anything for no reason at all like yeah this was a dumpster fire year uh they end up getting the eighth pick and what sucks is like we obviously the fourth pick the year two years before but then they're bad but not that bad so they can't get a high enough pick to get an impact player and this is where i think phil just kind of he was on the way out mentally so throughout the end of this year he starts talking up trading mellow he ends up flat out saying, like, we're going to trade Melo. Yeah, and then the last draw is when he starts talking to KP, your 21-year-old superstar. And everyone's like, oh, we're going to fire Phil because 
we can't trade KP. You know, who would ever think of that? That's maybe the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So on the eighth pick, he picks Franklin Lakina. The Knicks brilliantly let him run the draft just to fire him two weeks later to pick a French point guard that can't get four points in an NBA game. I mean... Yeah, just- and I remember at the time, it was Phil was going to trade Porzingis to Phoenix for for their higher pick and something else. And that, that he was going to pick Dragon Bender to be the Porzingis replacement yeah. was the thinking there. Just an example of like every right move Phil Jackson made, it was one, two steps back and and uh, two, that that uh, move was lucky in the first place. Um, so first, it was, Dragon Bender was the year before. It was for uh, Justin Jackson or Josh Jackson, who t- cannot play. He might, he's just as bad as Frank. Um, Dragon Bender was the year before where the Knicks didn't have a first because they traded for Melo instead of waiting. That pick ended up being Jamal Murray, who obviously we know today is a very solid point guard. Um, yeah, so, you know, once you start Incredible about, social media presence as well. Incredible. Really, which was the Knicks outrage. Um, yeah, um, so, you know, he's talking about trading franchise icon Melo and now even KP. And then, like, Knicks management, Dolan's like, Okay, you had enough. Like, uh, funny enough is he starts talking this mellow stuff once his two years, twenty-four million guaranteed gets guaranteed. He doesn't say any of this before that, and then that gets guaranteed. Like it was a mutual opt-out, and they chose to extend it another two years. Why? I have no idea. And it is four-year tenure. Mm-hmm. He took over a thirty-seven. They went or year tenure, seventeen wins, thirty-two wins, and thirty-one wins. So. Stagnant movement, didn't do anything. And then Steve Mills, who's been with the Knicks for, like, the longest time, he finally, like, takes the spotlight for one offseason. And this is this move just sets the franchise back another, like, two or three years. So he freaks out and re-signs Tim Hardaway Jr., who he traded to a four-year, $71 million contract. Uh, yeah, this was a point where the salary cap rose and teams just didn't know how to act. Yeah. And this was one, another one of those contracts along with Joakim Noah. And the next move he gave out, I think, is even worse because he paid Ron Baker money to play basketball. $8 million for two years. Ron Baker undrafted the worst player in basketball. Like, he paid <laughs> not, only, not only could Ron Baker not play, he couldn't hang out there physically. He, yeah. His career pretty much got ended because he got dunked on by Anthony Davis so hard yeah. that his face broke, broke and face. he hasn't really played after that. And that was really the end of Ron Baker as a rotation player because he got physically dominated so badly that he had no choice but to just sit, uh, sit a couple years out. Yeah, and yeah, he's done. Uh, so after making these two moves, Steve Mills... It's very apparent that he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, so they hire uh, Scott Perry from the Kings. He had a front office position with them. And their first major move working together is the mellow trade. Like, obviously, you know, trading KP, Phil Jackson was saying that. Like, you don't do that at this point. But Mello, it made sense to move on from him. He's getting older. The team clearly should be centered around KP. And so I can understand where they're coming from, from the standpoint of trading Mello. It just sucked to see it not work out the way we all expected. Yeah, bringing in Ennis Cantor and Doug McDermott yeah. along with a pick who became Mitchell Robinson. So in that it's sense, a solid trade. They cleared Mello's cap. Ennis Cantor was okay for a year like and a half. Half a year. Yeah, yeah. Doug McDermott was white, could shoot threes. And <laughs> in the Moody round, trade. Yeah, that second round rounder ended up being Mitchell Robinson, which obviously worked out great. And so then this is KP's year, right? He's 22. He's the leader of this team. Derrick Rose is now gone. 
Jakeem Noah is hurt and then later suspended this year for taking PEDs. So it's really that terrible team last year, that big four, just KP's team. He comes out the gate with 23, 7, and 2.5. Like, he's just a monster. He is supposed to take over. Yeah, he's getting MVP chance in the garden at the end of games. He's making all the big plays. He he's he's a borderline top ten player at this point because he's a he's a great rim protector. He's doing a lot well. He's helping the team win on every level. He it seems like like year three four percent is he took the next step. And yeah, he definitely took that next step. You know, he was a named an All Star, the Knicks' last All Star since Melo. And what he ends up doing later in the year, in about February, a few weeks before the All Star game, is he posters Giannis tearing his ACL. In the process. Yeah, and, and, and you could tell this one was coming. The whole team's hurt. Yeah. Porzingis is running on fumes. He's playing like 30 minutes a night. He's playing every game. He says he wants to play every game. And you could tell that he's starting to break down. And you could tell this was coming. It was too good to be true with Porzingis. And yeah. you could tell it was just about the end of this insane run for him. He had a very big injury scare just a few weeks before in Brooklyn. And like people thought that was the worst injury possible. He ended up coming back. And yeah, you did see it coming, unfortunately. And if you were to tell us at the time this would be his last game as a Nick, I don't think anyone would have believed it. Yeah, yeah, that, that was what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, little did we know that that was the end of Porzingis in uh, a Knicks uniform. Um, and it's just so unfortunate to see the way that that injury, yeah. like, I'm not saying it was only that injury that, like, led to everything that's happened since then, but just to see that happen and then – how not only how the Knicks responded to that, but then like what happened, like because of like what they like what they were anticipating to happen didn't happen. Just like the the whole culmination of everything since that since that play since that injury, it's just been so unfortunate for the Knicks. And and it seems like not almost seems like it, it is almost like nothing ever goes the Knicks way since that happened. And yeah. you were saying that you don't think that um, that was maybe the whole reason everything went down. I don't think it was either because even before then, he hired his brother as his agent, which really like will cause the downfall we'll talk about in a bit. But he was talking a lot about like he wants to make the playoffs. He's tired of being on these terrible teams. And then that Knicks team ended up losing nine of their last 11 before the injury. So it was very apparent things were going to go south with his expectation that they would start winning more games. And without him, it just became, you know, it just got a lot worse once he left the floor. A lot worse is an understatement. Yeah. So that year, they ended up getting the ninth pick. They drafted Kevin Knox over oh, Shane wow. Alexander and Donovan Mitchell. Knox is now the second. No, 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 no. We drafted Frank over Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. This was Shea Gilgis Alexander, Michael Porter. Michael Porter. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, so still, this... still, that's another bad move too. <laughs> yeah, Frank, I don't know if you want to. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about these two picks back to back right now. Uh, Frank Nilakina and Michael Porter Jr. Frank you mean, was a... you know, Kevin Knox. Knox. Yeah, sorry, sorry, and the lack of Michael Porter Jr. Kevin Knox. So they 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 pick Frank. Uh, Frank instantly comes in and just has no offensive game, and Not. somehow like people thought this was okay. Frank does try hard on defense. He is capable there. He has long arms. You can get switch on. But uh, he can't really handle. He can't really uh, like shoot or pass or anything on offense. He he's really just a complete zero on that end of the floor. And for that, for anyone to think that's somehow going to be a starting point guard in the NBA in in, in the in going into the 2020s is ludicrous. He really just he 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 gave them nothing out there. And um, also his minutes were being played with. Uh, he was not playing as much as he needed to to develop. 
But that was almost a bad pick as soon as it happened. He he just gave them nothing out there. Kevin Knox, another example of this. Uh, he's like a uh, he's like a Dollar Tree version of, version of Jason Tatum. He's tall. He's long. He doesn't really have one go to skill. And he he's just he he's uh, he was an inefficient shooter as a rookie. And somehow in year two he that stopped works. shooting. He just stopped taking them. And uh, for him to go from like a thirteen point guy on a bad percentage as a rookie to like a six point guy on an even worse percentage as in his second year, just shows to one like a lack of scouting to pick him in the first place, and two a lack of player development. And this one I'm gonna blame on Fizdale because he yeah. uh, they, they, as they hired David Fizdale, this hype beast hire, everyone thought this was the right guy because Fizdale is another example of someone where the media just hypes him up. They say like every year, like oh, this is the guy, this is the guy, because he's friends with everybody. What does Fizdale really do well? He took over a playoff team, brought him to the playoffs once, then got fired. I don't really see what he what he does particularly well, and especially with like a young team. He was always breaking down the young guys, and Kevin Knox really just showed like no improvement from year one to year two, and neither did Frank. Yeah, and going and going into Fizdale, like really the thing that everybody loved him for is just that one quote about like Kawhi going to the line every game in that playoff series, and take he was like, for- "Oh, take that for data, right?" Exactly. Essentially, that that potentially got him hired for the Knicks because of the hype around him after that. And then they go out and won the next game and ended up losing the series in like five or something. I forgot. But they um, but the reason why he got fired in Memphis was because he like none of the players liked him. Yeah, yeah, he was I mean, going through it with a, Marcus. He's a guy from the yeah, he's a guy from the Heat. He's a, like he's a LeBron Heat guy, right? Part LeBron of, like, just talks him up because LeBron was piping his wife in Miami. Um, but like. He wasn't like there, he didn't bring anything to, as head coach. He wanted to play the veterans because he was like trying to win games. Like now, the Knicks weren't in that position, right? The Knicks were just not in a position to 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 win games and go to the, and go to the playoffs, even in a weaker Eastern Conference. Um, but like he, like you mentioned, he stunted the development of a bunch of the young guys, right? He didn't play Kevin Knox the minutes that he probably should have been playing, right? Um, even like. He was like starting Taj Gibson like for most of the year this year before yeah, he got fired. Like, yeah. yeah, instead of Mitchell Robinson, like you're starting. Right. starting... Let's uh, let's talk about Mitch. They hit this diamond in the rough in the second round. This guy Mitchell Robinson, highly touted high school recruit, didn't really pl- didn't play in college due to some uh, due to some shady circumstances yeah, coming into Western Kentucky. Uh, Mitch comes in and he he's extremely raw, but there's a lot of upside there. People think this could be the next DeAndre Jordan, the shot blocking, rim running big. That you know he's not he's not overly skilled, but there's a lot of effort out there, and he has these really long arms, a lot of potential. What Fizdale proceeds to do is barely play him. Uh, he won't start him. He won't play him with the other young guys. He's always in like a unit with like some yeah. uh, some washed up veterans. Like and after picking RJ Barrett, they're so rarely in together. Uh, where you would want to see some pick and roll stuff there some action with both of them and uh, really not giving Mitch anything uh, like any opportunities offensively. Uh, Mitch, you know, he, he like, while like his stats improved in year two, I don't really see much improvement there. I think he's just playing more minutes. Uh, like he's still like a foul machine. Uh, he, he really like struggles to stay in games when he's playing a lot of minutes, which is why Fizdale says he can't start. Uh, but I, I think he should really be working on coaching him up to improve that. And he's just like a really young raw player, and, and luckily they got Fizdale out. But they're gonna have to hire the right guy to mold like such a talented young player. Right. So even the, so, they fire Hornacek after picking uh, Knox, and then they bring in Fizdale. And Knox obviously has not worked out so far. And Fizdale was brought in. His main reason he was brought in was to smooth things over with KP. You know, he has the ACL tear. He's still their twenty-three-year-old superstar. He's getting a little disgruntled with the 
the moves the Knicks have made, all this retooling. It's another coach for him. And so he goes to Latvia to try to smooth things over. We hear things are okay. We're, like, hyped at Fisdale. You know, we're, he's here. We know his involvement with LeBron. So, you know, we were very confident going into the year with him. And then it's very apparent that he is a terrible basketball mind. Um, the reason he was hired in Memphis was because he was LeBron's buddy and a player development guy, and like a, or not player development guy, like a player's coach, and then yeah. immediate clashes with the players. Yeah, just instantly can't relate to the young guys. Uh, and I think, like, in the big three Miami, it's really easy to relate to players when you know they're not going to fuck up. So and, that, um, like, when you know you can rely on them to, to play well every night. And young guys aren't going to be like that. And Fizzle didn't seem to understand that. He's always trying to break the young guys down. Yeah, so he was barely playing Knox and Nedelkina mm-hmm. in that second year. They were terrible. He was starting Emmanuel Moutier playing 70 minutes a game. It was brutal to watch out there. Emmanuel Moutier put up 16 a game on, like, a 58% usage rate. Really yeah. just impressive stuff. <laughs> um, And so he ends up – he's supposed to smooth things over with KP, but – KP's agent is now his brother. His brother's pissed off. And KP, he has enough of the Knicks. Um, he ends up coming to them with an ultimatum saying, you trade me or when I hit free agency, I'll sign a one-year deal and then nothing for you. You won't be able to trade me. And this kind of sucks for the Knicks because they weren't equipped to deal with the situation. Clearly, as you see what they're going to do. And like, so it's Scott Perry, Steve Mills, the worst record in basketball. And you think like you trade KP for you know, some good picks and some good young players, right? They they tried, I think, but what they got was they traded Christos Porzingis, the terrible contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee. And before we go into that, Tim Hardaway Jr. felt betrayed by the Knicks. We felt betrayed with you shooting 36%. He was terrible for the Knicks. For Dennis Smith Jr., Jr. DeAndre Jordan, and two firsts. First Wesley all, Matthews, he gets bought up. Cut one game later, yeah. He started one game and then got cut. I don't know why they even bothered. Um, those two firsts are going to be shit, right? Because the Mavs now with KP and Luka. Modern two generations. Yeah, modern day Steve Novak. They're going to be good. They're going to be a playoff team for the next five to ten years. Um, I mentioned earlier Kevin Knox, second worst player in basketball. The worst player in basketball, that title belongs to Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, the second he came to New York, just had nothing. Dennis Smith did show some promise as a rookie, but clearly that was Dallas pumping him up. Uh, yeah. As soon as he got to the Knicks, he, he gave him nothing out there. He was, he's a shoot-first point guard that can't make anything. And it is unfortunate that he is this young guy. Once again, Fisdale buries him uh, like mm-hmm. in his first full year with the team, in a year where you thought, like, all right, Dennis Smith's going to really, like, he's going to take a step. And it's just shown that they've really gotten nothing out of trading their best draft picks since Ewan. Yeah, so they got absolutely nothing. And DeAndre Jordan, right? And this move immediately, it leads to hope for the Knicks because for the first time in a while, there is hope, shockingly, because of his relationship with KD and Kyrie. Obviously, we knew both of them were free agents. There were very high chances that both were going to leave their respective teams. And with this move, having to basically trade KP for cap space, attaching two terrible contracts, they create two max contracts. So going into the offseason, they have the number one odds because they had the worst record in basketball. And these two max contracts. Mm-hmm. We are hearing all season this KD to New York talk, KD to New York talk. We couldn't yep. avoid it. Like, after every loss, they're talking about it. Um, so the, the hope is they're able to draft Zion Williamson one right. and pair him with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, yeah. and just bring New York basketball back to relevance. So that's the hope. 
Um, that does not come to happen. So they get upset in the lottery yet again. They get the third overall pick, which in hindsight isn't the worst situation because of the new lot. So the new lottery odds were enacted, which basically screwed the Knicks' chances. They had 15 less wins, I think, than the Pelicans. 16. Who the, 16. Who got the number one pick and generational player in Zion. So we get R.J. Sure Baird. Surefire top 20 guy. Yeah. We get R.J. Baird at three. Uh, we'll get into him in a minute. But then DeAndre Jordan, who was brought in that Mavericks trade, just to kind of tell Katie and Kyrie to come here, says, no shot, we're going there. He goes to pair up with Katie and Kyrie in New York, right? So all that Kyrie and Katie to New York talk was right, but it was Brooklyn, the little brother. I mean, like, you couldn't have asked for a more embarrassing scenario for Knicks fans. As Loft just said, Zion, Katie, Kyrie's the hope. And now you have Katie and Kyrie going to New York, and it's not even the Knicks. It's a little brother in the net. Yeah, and, and um, I just want to point out, I think, I'm, I, no matter what people say, I'm always going to think that the NBA draft lottery is rigged. It's been rigged from the start. The, the Knicks, it, it, it helped the Knicks when the, that lottery was rigged, like, since it first started with the Patrick Ewing draft, like, obviously the, the folded uh, envelope, right? But every year, every year I'm always going to say the draft lotteries are because they never, they always show the, the envelope pulling out, right? They don't show the ping pong balls that are supposedly what give the odds, right? And they don't let you see the access to, to that room or anything, right? Right? No we phone. Would all sit there. We no would phone. all sit there and watch the ping pong balls, right? That would be like, you would all watch, right? But they're, they're not showing it though, because the NBA always like they always want some shit to happen, right? So the yeah, La- I'll give I'll give an I'll give an unrelated example. The Lakers, yeah, they were they had a really bad stretch in the middle of the twenty ten in the middle of the twenty tens, but they had a top three seven straight lottery years. Yeah, but still, they had a top three protected pick every uh, yeah. like every year for like <laughs> five years, and they got the number two pick every year, exactly the number yeah. two pick every year, nothing more, nothing less, right? Why? Lakers are the biggest, are the probably the most important franchise in NBA. The NBA want Zion, their biggest marketable star, to come along in the last decade to go they want to. The, they New want and job that market with the with the pending Anthony Davis trade. Why would they? Why wouldn't they just give the Lakers the number one pick? I don't know, <laughs> but the Lakers got the fourth pick still. Right? Yeah, the Lakers got yeah, the fourth pick, would... and they and they were like, they, I mean, yeah, they were not great, but why would they put Memphis's pick over the Lakers and the Knicks? I don't know. Uh, Memphis, John Moran. All right, well, but still, yeah, the, the Knicks, the Knicks, right to the bottom. The, the, I got Nothing can ever go right for the Knicks. Either way, nothing can ever go right for the Knicks. Yeah, and it, it seems like they got the and, third pick in a two-player draft. Yeah, and it's, it's like care because the Knicks are the most valuable franchise in the league. The, their attendance is always going to be up no matter what. People are still going to go to the Garden because it's the Garden, and it doesn't matter, right? They're selling tickets. They're selling merchandise. Who gives a shit if they're doing well or not? Yeah. So, yeah, the Knicks get three in a consensus, like, two-player surefire draft. Um, yeah, so it just sucks. Also, I want to I criticize Kyle Kuzma because the Lakers got, like, eight straight third overall picks despite the odds always being against that. And he was like, yeah, of course we didn't get one. The NBA hates us. Like, shut the fuck up and oh, sh- fucking bleach your hair. You fuck, like, I'm sick of that guy. 
He's got to shut up. <laughs> um, and so then, so the Knicks cancel for that don't, one. The Knicks don't get Katie and Kyrie, obviously, and their response to this, I think, was maybe the worst it possibly could. Similar to how they signed Amari, similar to how they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. Just out of nothing to do, they went out and paid Bobby Portis to play basketball for them. Paid Julius Randle a lot of money to play basketball. Alfred Payton, Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris, Wayne Ellington, you name it. All these random vets, four power forwards also, all on one-year player option or team options. Besides Julius Randle, who got three for 60? Yeah, who who gets three for 66, not just 60, 66. Yeah, and um, this is really where uh, you just got to wonder, what the fuck were they thinking? If you think about this offseason, they were in a prime position if they just kept their salary cap to have a superstar like Westbrook or Chris Paul fall into their lap for free. Instead, they fill up their cap with a bunch of one-year deals, and now they can't like they can't take on a, a good contract, a big contract. The, the Knicks this year could have had uh, like a like a similar situation to OKC with Chris Paul in yeah. SGA, but with Chris Paul and RJ Barrett in the backcourt throwing it to Mitchell Robinson, like Lob City again. Instead, what they do, they fill their salary cap up with power forwards, and now they're talking about getting Chris Paul now when they would have to give up assets because he had a good year. Yeah, I mean, you want to see how to build a basketball team, do what the Thunder did. They got Chris Paul and assets for him because they were able to have the salary cap space. That is the same situation the Knicks were in. They could have got coveted first-round picks from Houston because those are not going to be good Houston teams way down the line. They get those assets and Chris Paul, who is now an asset. He had a rebound year with the Thunder, and yet now they're trying to trade for him when they'd have to give up assets instead of get them. And it takes them out because the NBA is a weird rule. You can't trade recently signed players until like December 15th. So they couldn't make the salary work any way that offseason. And they were stuck with that team Four power forwards. I mean, what are you doing? It's a three point league and you're signing four power forwards. Yeah, it's just uh, just an example of the Knicks being completely lost as to what uh, they where they think the league is. going. So this is where, you know, Steve Mills, who's been with the Knicks since 2003, I think the year when things really started going south. He's finally like, we just can't keep him around. It's so clear he was a yes man for James Dolan. Like, he'll just do whatever the fuck Dolan says. Because his basketball intelligence did not deserve him to keep this job. So the Knicks, this year, they get off to a terrible start. They fire David Fisdale. They bring in Mike Miller as an intern, which marks their 12th head coach in 18 years. So just complete turmoil. The one good player they sign, Marcus Morris, they get... Like the 30th pick for him ending up with the Clippers. And now they're stuck. They were stuck with all these terrible power forwards, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Julius Randle on the roster. And before the season ended, just in the most Knicks way possible, they, uh, they're playing the Hawks. They go to, they choke a nine point lead to go into overtime by gutting it out in overtime. Their draft lottery odds fall from three to seven. So now with the season, you know, very high in one of the most shallow drafts of the last like five years, terrible draft. Yeah, completely. And now their odds go from third to seventh with that win against the Hawks. If the season doesn't come back, it'll hold up. And, you know, you look at the Knicks outlook right now. Kevin Knox can't score or play defense. Frank Nittalakina can't dribble a basketball or shoot a basketball. RJ Barrett, you know, he has potential certainly, but he did shoot under 40%. The vets are terrible, and Dennis Smith Jr. is the worst player in the league. And they don't have a coach. 
So, you yeah. know, a- and they bring in Leon Rose this year yeah. to close this out. If he doesn't make a big splash this year, I don't see any roadmap for this to improve. If they don't trade for a disgruntled superstar, I don't know where the Knicks are going to be going in the next five years. Yeah, it's just they have no direction right now. And, you know, if they if they missed out on Katie and Kyrie, they could have went the rebuild direction. They want this like whoever. When does it ever work out to like go for an eight seed, like gun for an eight seed in basketball? That never works out. And that's what they did. So, like, this was just recapping it. I don't know. Like, you think the only way they improve, like, legitimately improve and get this thing back on ship is if they bring in a disgruntled superstar? Well, yeah, that's that's the only way. I, how else are they going to acquire, like, like, anywhere above, like, a B-minus talent? Who do you see that being available this offseason? Uh, you look at Philly, one of Simmons or Embiid, potentially. Yeah. Uh, Embiid is a Leon Rose client. There should be some, like, like murmuring there. Uh, the Jazz, Gobert and Mitchell, similar situation with that. Maybe they're able to bring in a Chris Paul. Maybe if Houston blows it up, Russell Westbrook Russell becomes Westbrook. available. Something like that. Yeah. Otherwise, like they're going to be in a really tough spot for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Uh, are we good? On the next. I mean, uh, I just want to mention one thing. I mean, you did you did mention like Joe Embiid being a former Leon Rose client. You could see. I'm not going to compare like the players, the the per se, like obviously different sports, but obviously Joel Embiid is way better than the player that I'm just going to mention. But the Mets just hired a former agent a few years ago, Brody Van Wagner, as their GM. And then the first major move that he makes um, is to trade for one of his former clients in Robinson Cano. Um, trade wasn't a good trade for the Mets at all by any means, but possibly like with Joel Embiid being a former client, you could you could definitely look at that. Like I don't know, I could see the parallels like. Potentially happening there, where a former GM yeah. goes well, after I think, a, a I think former client. I think it's no question the Knicks would want Embiid. Like Leon Rose would want Joel Embiid. The question is, like, if Philly decides, like, like Embiid and Simmons can't play together, which one do they decide to trade? Like, like, there's no question Leon Rose game. would want Joel Embiid on his basketball team. There's no doubt about it. What are the next? The Knicks probably have to give up RJ and Mitchell Robinson for Embiid, though. They're gonna have to reshape the whole team. Uh, yeah, the question that that's a thing where like Philly would probably want to win now, right? And like yeah. the Knicks have nothing to give them, yeah, uh, in terms of high players. So like if they're gonna make up, that's the thing about them making a trade for like an actual like star instead of like a Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook right. with their contracts and Albatross, they're gonna actually have to give up like something that's gonna help that team win now, and that's gonna be tough because they 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 have no good players. I think like the one common theme throughout these probably like twenty years is like. You see a lot of players, like, even in the documentary, you see how Jordan, he loved to play at the Garden. You even see how LeBron, he tweeted out about a week ago, he's like, I love the Garden. But there's the one thing is they love to play there, they love to visit there, but they don't like to be on the team and be under the ownership. And I think that's why the Knicks have been bad for all this time, and they probably will continue because nobody wants to play under the the regime of uh, the Dolans. And I think, yeah, it's just the one problem there is right now. Yeah, and now especially, like, with the spot the NBA is in, they're not just going to be able to, like, like throw the bag at somebody, right? They're not going to be able to offer somebody the most money because everyone's going to be offered a max. And there, there's, like a, there's a cap on how, like, high someone's salary could be, like, from, an, from uh, like, them leaving to a new team. So at this point, every year, it's just the player picks which city he wants to live in. And, like, and that's the only thing that goes into it, which basketball situation is the best for me. And the Knicks are never going to be, like, in the hunt, really, for big players, like, with the best basketball situation. It's unfortunate to see because, like, now, like, you see in other sports where, like, oh, like, where's the most money? And a lot of times it is the big market, yeah. big markets. And then, like, you can see the big market teams kind of, like, 
I wouldn't say build your teams through free agency, but they can like kind of piece it piece a solid like team through free agency and then potentially like get some finishing touches and then be a contender. You're never going to see that again in basketball where it's the big markets dominating per se because of like the max contracts. And I mean, you like, you'll never see like the Knicks win at least like, but you will like, and you see the bucks dominating and whatnot, but like every team, like they're because of the salary cap, it gives every team an equal opportunity. Whereas like it's what, like, whereas I'm just going to use baseball as an example, without the salary cap, you see the big market teams dominating like the free agency level, like the, the, the free agency and everything. So yeah, well, the salary cap in the NBA kills the next, yeah. One, they can't manage it. Two, it doesn't let them overpay somebody. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like, the number one thing I think they need to get better is evaluating talent. Like, you have to hit on some of these picks. You know, they're in the top ten. You can't whiff on Knox and Milikina as far as you do. Obviously, Porzingis, you hit on that pick. But, you know, other circumstances. Your, your yeah. evaluation of what you got for him was so far off. They yeah, thought that was like a yeah. transcendent point, and right? Even free agents. Like, they're not ever – when are the Knicks ever, like – signing a guy on a two-year deal and it pans out like no it's not been panning out you need to actually evaluate talent better like you can't bring in bobby portis on a 15 million per year deal and yeah what they got for porzingis was laughable so you need to hit on some of these picks you know we see um Isaiu jury in toronto he didn't have a lottery pick on the championship team last year you know being able to hit on these late round picks can really help you out because, you know, those can be valuable role players or even blossom into more. And then it's, they need to actually, you know, now that they have their picks, because as we saw in Isaiah Thomas era, that wasn't really common to have your picks. They need to actually put them into use and not pick players who can't play basketball. So I think that's where it starts and stops with them. Is that it? I think so. All right. Um, do we have anything coming up that we want to – I, I will let you guys know that, you know, say it ain't so. You see a lot of businesses falling, folding right now. It's unfortunate. We're just growing. We've acquired a studio in New York City. We will be going there some point in the near future. Nope, can't hear you. You're muted. Yeah, facts. Um, yeah. So, so the solution be... is to leave the call. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, we acquired a New York City studio. Um, we're all in, guys. God bless America. Fuck. We're coming, Barstool. See you, poor night. Yeah, we're we're not stopping. We're getting bigger as the days go on. So we hope you don't make the mistake in leaving us because leave you in the dust. Fucking this. Yeah. So. Okay. God bless America. God bless America. Start saying that. What do you say? Just to wake up. Hit Ryan. Yeah, watch me rip this shit. My words. Not remember that. Chelsea just went off the deep end, bro.
Are we still recording? Yeah. Let's go.